To the untrained eye, real estate is the business of shelter, of comfort, of home. But industry insiders know that just behind the curtain resides a world teeming with innovation and disruption and sometimes brutal competition. And there, in the midst of it all, stand our industry leaders, the folks with the answers to our million-dollar questions in real estate. We've got one of those leaders here for you today. I'm Jessica Edgerton. And I'm Tarko Heidinga from leading real estate companies of the world. Let's pull back the curtain. Welcome to Million Dollar Question. This is a Soulfire production. A a very good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome here at another episode of a Million Dollar Question. We are so happy and privileged uh, to have a special guest with us here today, and I'm very excited to uh, introduce him immediately so that we can go straight into the million-dollar question. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have Leon Boon-Ho with me, and he is the founder and CEO of Arcadia Consulting, a boutique real estate advisory and brokerage firm focusing on the marketing of luxury residences as well as cross-border investment brokerage. With a track record of over 20 years in managing projects and marketing premium real estate in Singapore and other key cities like Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia, Boon advises clients from the acquisition stage, strategic marketing planning, and execution, and as well as divestments. Arcadia Consulting services include luxury residences, sales brokerage, cross-border and local project marketing, market readiness advisory, and investment sales brokerage. And on top of that, he also helps with marketing strategies, targeting capital, and deal sourcing. The network of partners across the regions and uh, and the seasoned industry practitioners of the real estate sector and its various specialist fields. Arcadia is in the sector a real expert. They are influencers and they are real key opinion leaders. This extended reach allows Boone to tailor marketing activities and source off-market investments and real estate development opportunities in Southeast Asia for all types of clients. Prior to the founding of Arcadia Consulting, Boone was also CEO of Liz Sotheby's International Realty in Singapore, and other preceding positions include the managing director of CBRE Realty Associates for seven years, and on top of that, also the director of residential project marketing also within CBRE. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very glad and very honored to have with us today, Mr. Boon Ho. Boon, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for your kind uh, introduction. It's quite, quite, a, quite a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> was a mouthful, but for somebody as experienced as you, that uh, has to be a mouthful, right? Because uh, you. you have a, such a long stand here in the industry, a lot of experience. You have seen many things in the real estate. Now, of course, with Arcadia, and expanding very nicely across Southeast Asia. So I'm very happy. Thank you so much for making the time being on the show today. And what do you say if we just start with the first question? Sure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been so kind. Yes. Please. Okay. So uh, let's just start a little bit light, uh, Boon. I mean, uh, you are very well known here in Southeast Asia. Of course, in Singapore, we just saw each other in Singapore a couple of days ago. And, you know, can you give us maybe a little bit of a feel what is happening in Singapore, right? What has been happening during the, the COVID times? And, uh, and of course, uh, how are things now in Singapore? And what is your take in, uh, in, in the direction that it's going? Well, I think, I think there's been a lot more optimism now um, as compared to even just six months ago or, or a year and a half ago. 
Um, the prime minister has just announced that we will be able to take our mask off um, and we won't be needing to wear masks um, anywhere except in public uh, transports and in the hospital settings or medical settings. So other than that, I think, I think that has made uh, everybody very happy. I think we're getting a little bit lethargic with the masks. Um, so yes, there's a lot of optimism here at the moment. Wonderful, wonderful. That's really good. And what what about the real estate market? How has that been going? Has that been growing? Have prices gone up, or has it been stagnating? What what have you been seeing over the last couple of years? I think in the context in the context of um, Southeast Asia, or rather maybe in the context of uh, what's happening globally during the COVID uh, uh, period, um, there's been a lot of money and 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 you know uh, financial assistance given by the government, you know, to help people pull through these very, very hard times. And so much so that these, these liquidity, when they enter the market and, and you know, after the going through the multiplier effects and so on and so forth, we suddenly have a lot of equity in the market. And I think we've seen that happen in Singapore. We've seen that happen in generally across Southeast Asia and perhaps in major cities as well. Um, and, and very often during this period, I mean, these this such hard times when, when so much money is flowing around and you, you grab the money and you throw it in the end, and chances are it gets, st it gets stuck to real estates. And that's what exactly we've been seeing in, in major cities across the globe, and especially in Singapore. Um, of course, pre-COVID, we are already, uh, the housing market is already on uh, some kind of a bull run, um, which the government has already introduced a fair number of cooling measures to try to calm it down. Um, but nonetheless, even during the quiet times, the market sort of paused for a little while and after the market opens up in April this year in fact it has gone from strength to strength it has gone up quite a bit and I think we are also seeing that in the different markets that we operate uh, across Southeast Asia yeah wonderful wonderful so quite optimistic as I can see right uh, yes. moving forward that, that those yes. are very good things and um, that brings me a little bit to your to your beautiful company Arcadia uh, that you. has uh, just started in uh, in um, in Singapore. I know you just started before COVID or even during COVID. I think you just kind of uh, opened the company after so many years, you know, being with uh, with uh, in the real estate already. And what I could see very quickly is that your company Arcadia focuses a lot of effort of building long-term sustainable relationships. Right now, now even more. Uh, with your expansion in the region, right? Recently also even opening an office in uh, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. So the question is a bit, why is it important to be present in these different markets, right? And what specific things contribute to building a good relationships within those markets, right? What outcomes do you see out of this strategy? Very good questions you have there. Um, we, I decided to, to, to build the company actually at the end of 2019 when I left my last employment. I, after so many years of watching people's P&L that I suppose, you know, uh, watching my own P&L sounds interesting to me. So with a lot of, of, of enthusiasm, we then set it up. And after the license was transferred in January 2020, we got hit with the COVID. Um, but, you know, other than feeling despair in the initial stages, uh, it sort of brought some very interesting um, uh, very interesting observations as well because the market in Singapore was very hot then, you know, and, and there are very, very strong competitors out there doing practically almost the same thing. And the, the COVID lockdown literally means that the government has put the traffic lights on all industries. And, and 
if you take that traffic analogy, then we are we as a very small company literally means that we are just riding a bicycle and we are trying to race against the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis, which, you know, in normal times is going to be very tough. But in a traffic-like situation, everybody stays the same. Um, so that gives us a lot of, um, a, probably a longer runway um, to let us really sink, uh, sit down and think that which segments of the market that we really want to serve. And, and after the, the movement controls were sort of lifted slightly and we start to see visitors coming through, and requests coming in, and you start to realize that you know we are still very suited to build um, the business around the ultra high net worth segments, and and we that, that's exactly what we have been doing, um, and I think for the for the this aspect of clients, I mean, as with the many years of of dealing with them previously, uh, it is very interesting to note that these clients typically don't uh, are not um, worried about paying fees, right? And the, the, the traditional thinking of being an agent is always that, you know, if I do my transactions very efficiently, I do it very quickly, uh, I earn my fees, right? And the client must be happy with me because I do the transactions so right and, and so quickly. I think somehow, if you think deeper, it maybe it misses a point. The, the fact that the, the ultra high net worth clients not necessarily need to sell very quickly. In fact, they may, most of the time, they may not necessarily need to sell. So selling quickly, um, it's not necessarily a good thing for them. In fact, the client sometimes turn around and ask us, why do you sell it so quickly? Right? Uh, basically, it means that you didn't really get a good price for me. Yeah. So, so being able to sell very quickly is, is not exactly the thing that they want to see. Right? Of course, we need to do it very efficiently and, and, and uh, without mistakes. Um, but it also means that you have to put in a little bit of finesse to try to do the transaction right and put yourself in the position of the client. Um, and think of the outcome that he really wants, the end result that he really wants, and you work through the transaction with him, with that end goal. And I think clients appreciate that. And that becomes, that becomes the, the starting point of building a relationship. So it's, yeah. exactly, it's not exactly, you know, I can do the transaction, everybody can do the transaction. I think the, the point is, the agent who can do the transaction, seeing from my perspective what I really want, I think that's the start. Very nice, very nice. And, and and even now, because you are dealing mostly in the luxury segment of, of the real estate industry, mm -hmm. how much more important is that relationship stand with those types of clients, right? Do you see a difference when it kind of gets more expensive than that relationship building is even more important? Or is, is it similar across all price levels within the real estate? I suppose it, it, it is similar to that ex uh, to, to a certain extent in across all price points, across all segments of the clients you serve. I think mm -hmm. the, the key point for being, an, uh, being a very good uh, uh, broker is that being able to transact uh, efficiently is a given in the eyes of all the clients. Um, yeah. And of course, at the ultra high net worth level, um, it becomes all the more important because then a, a few other factors come into play. Right, being able to to transact uh, discreetly without without making a fuss, being able to find a buyer without having to go to the public media, um, being able to negotiate a price um, with the client's end goal in mind, um, so that both sides of the clients both are high net worth anyway, right? Because if you can sell a high net worth uh, individuals' properties, then the buyer chances are also high net worth. Um, being able to find a middle ground between the two. Mm. Um, then becomes a, a, a point of a major consideration. So I would say, yes, the, the higher the price point is, 
the, the more important it is for you to be able to build that relationship and that trust um, in order to get the, the transaction through across the line. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, th that is really some great insight uh, right there. I, I fully agree with you. Uh, it's definitely across all price points that you have to focus on that relationship, right? Uh, in real estate, high asset class, you want to have that good rapport and that good connection with your clients. And, and the higher that price goes, the, the more people need to trust you and like you and want to do business with you. That is, of course, extremely important. And I see that Arcadia is putting a lot of focus on that. And that also comes with, with how you position your brand, right? I, before I go to the Arcadia brand, let me ask you about, in general, international brands. Because uh, previous to Arcadia, you have been a uh, managing director and a director for residential project marketing. Explain us a bit your take on a strong brand in the market. What does a good brand in real estate do in, in a real estate market? Well, a, a brand brings with it expectations, right? So client, a client looks at a brand and it comes with expectations. I mean, I remember the time when I was um, with uh, uh, my previous employment with, with um, the very historical prestigious brand that I took to market in Singapore. I took the job because it was exciting to be able to bring uh, such a, a brand of such a distinction you know, to a market which is completely new to it. And very quickly you come to realize that um, whoever knows, whoever needs to know you will know you as a brand. Right? And whoever doesn't know you, it, it is, they may not be your customers after all. And it becomes very distinct with that particular brand. Um, and the brand also brings with it that, that, that kind of level of expectation. And I remember on the day that we opened business, you know, a client called us up and said that, look, uh, I know you guys are finally here. I like your brand very much, and I would like to give you this listing, and this is the price that I want to achieve. And after a few of such calls that comes in, you know, apart from you know, uh, enjoying the fact that people do call you, pick up the phone and call you, please list my, my property, it also means that their expectation of what the brand can do literally translate to the asking price they want on their properties. Right, so, so it very often means that the starting price um, being given to someone of a, a, a representing a major brand versus somebody who is not you know, with a brand sometimes can be very different. Yeah. And then it becomes a, a real experience in terms of learning how to deal with that price expectation and try to bring the expectation down to a level that's realistic. All right. So being, being a, being a, a, a a strong brand definitely brings with it a lot of benefits because it opens doors, people are more prepared to listen to you, but it also comes uh, with a lot of expectations attached to it. Wonderful. Yeah, that is, that's some, yeah, I, I, I so much agree with that. Uh, the, the brand can really open doors and, and bring that recognition in, in the market. Now, going then to Arcadia, when you started there and put the brand into the market, what uh, learning points that you take from your previous position that you wanted to implement also in Arcadia when it comes to brand positioning? What are some of the things that you, you know, from the start, from day one, when you kind of put the brand into the market, wanted to make sure that that really brings value to the market or you get recognized in the same way? Um, that's, again, a very, very good question. Um, 
when we when we started Arcadia, I think the the idea is to say that because we are not big, you know, and it's very difficult to grow big with limited resources, as with a lot of entrepreneur entrepreneurial agents will know, you know, when they first started their agency. I think being very clear with the segment of the client that you want to serve is extremely important. Right then, you limit your scope of services, you limit your time spent, and you 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 are really targeted in who you want to talk to, and that fits you know your skill set perfectly. And, and I think you get you get um, multiplier effect when it comes when when you're able to do that right. We from the very onset we decided that we want to just focus on the ultra high net worth uh, clients, and and it's very common for agents to say I want to focus on the ultra high net worth clients. The the point is that that. The, the the challenge is always that you know for for us um, we we may not be in the ultra high net worth category yet as we don't live that kind of lifestyle and yet we want to be effective in serving this segment of clients and there you see that mismatch right because I don't understand it you know how can I then be very effective in in, in understanding that and then we went back and said that okay let's look at history and and a few things that some of the clients told us they said look you know luxury luxury Twenty years ago, and luxury this not now at the moment is very different. Twenty years ago, um, uh, being called ultra high net worth means the bank recognize you and then they put you as a private client, right? And at a point in time, the, the client felt that okay, this is the the the, the recognition that means that I've arrived. And when they 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 have they arrive, the, the sense of entitlement is that you know they need to be waited upon. Uh, whatever they need, whatever banking needs they do, they have a banker on the back of call, right? So mm. so that was. That was the kind of luxury understanding then, and then come year 2000 when technology takes over, when the bank starts to introduce internet internet banking, um, these private bankers then lock their laptops around and try to meet their clients and try to teach their clients do internet banking, right? It's going to save you a lot of time, um, and they they got a rude awakening. Clients are asking them, why on earth would I need to do internet banking myself? I'm your client, right? You do it, so. So after after a few years, I think after in the last five years, drastic changes happen again. You know, clients are going back to say that okay, I I am not high net worth and I don't need to be so high profile. I would like to do everything by myself. I don't need you. Please appear only when I call you. If not, don't call me. All right, I treasure my privacy. All right. Twenty um, years ago, it also means that when you go on on on, on travel. Um, literally, it means that you need to have a waiting staff, you know, around you within ten steps of wherever you go in the hotel. Uh, fast forward to today, you go to you go to a resort, and it, sometimes it means that they take away your shoes, that you can walk, you know, shoeless on the beach. They take away your phones so that you're not interrupted. They don't give you Wi-Fi, right? They take away the newspaper so nothing worries you. They teach you how to cook so that you cook for the food that you are eating. Right, you, they they teach you how to ride a bicycle, so that's where you, you know how you travel around in, in in the resort. So back to basics becomes the new luxury. So luxury is changing, and and in we have to try to. I mean, we it took us a while to get to understand that. You know, then we can then sort of tailor our services um, to meet those kind of expectations. Yeah. Wow! Wow! That is really great stuff there, Boon. And I, I like that you took quite some detail in that answer in, in helping to really also understand how that luxury market is changing also a bit, right? What those expectations are. And, and that is, that is, that's really cool. Um, going back to Singapore, right? Uh, you know, Boon, you know that our listeners are from all around the world. Uh, we, of course, with Leading RE, we have members 
everywhere. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Singapore is always kind of a country of interest, uh, if you will, right? And I mean to say that many people would like to do business with people in, in Singapore because it's such a fast-growing country, developed country, very impressive what has happened there over a couple of decades, right? Very high financial growth. And I think uh, potentially will be one of the financial, biggest financial ups of all of Asia, right? But can you maybe, as a Singaporean and as a person that has done business in Singapore for such a long time, help the world explain a little bit what is Singapore, right? What What is Singapore about, right? If people want to do business in Singapore, what do you need to think about, right? A little bit the culture, the, the work ethics, the, the people there. What do you believe is is maybe a few good points about Singapore and maybe also some challenging points that you recognize when people come to Singapore that people have to be aware of before they start thinking of doing business in Singapore? <laughs> That's a- that's a very interesting question. Actually, I never really thought about that. Um, well, we, we, we Singapore, I mean, I've been a Singaporean for, for the, since the day I was born and I lived here for the last 49 years. Um, it's very easy to take it for granted as a Singaporean that, you know, you enjoy the, the peace, the harmony. Um, uh, literally, everybody is, is still quite nice to each other and then everything works. I think that's the most important, right? Singapore is touted as one of the most efficient countries in the world. Everything works. And... Singaporeans complain a lot uh, precisely because, you know, everything works and when something doesn't work, you know, then it becomes a big talking point, right? Um, we, Singapore is, is located in, in the middle of about 700 million population in Southeast Asia. And Southeast Asia, again, if you look at the, the context of it, it has, it has got so many different races, so many different languages, so many different cultures and nuances. And even in the tiny little Singapore at five, maybe five and a half, 5.6 million population, um, we already have four main races, right? And, and you put them all together and you're going to get maybe about 10, 20 different languages, uh, dialects, uh, uh, cultures, uh, nuances, um, religion, uh, behavior. So I would say Singaporeans are generally very shy, very subtle, very hospitable, uh, and speaks English in many different ways. Um, and and I, I feel that uh, what I understand from some of my friends who come over here, it's not difficult to do work here. It's not difficult to get around because everything is in a language they understand. But communication with the locals sometimes can be um, fun right? because, because English <laughs> is spoken in so many different ways. And I think you come from Malaysia, you understand that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you look at, you, you hear the words, but you don't understand them. <laughs> so I would say, you know, be, be open-minded, be sensitive, you know, be receptive, and most importantly, enjoy the interaction. I think it's going to be quite fun. Yeah, working in Singapore. I truly love Singapore. I always have a good time when I come there. We had we had a good session a few days ago, mm. right? You were so friendly and your hospitality is just amazing. People are very friendly there. But yeah, it, what you do realize, it's a very structured country. Uh, very, uh, you know, from the moment that you already land on the airport and you get out, right? You need to walk exactly as they tell you how to walk, right? Uh, uh, the, you know, and then everything is very organized. The passport check is very quickly. Your taxi comes in front of you very quickly. You get to the hotel. The check-in at the hotel is literally done within 30 seconds, right? 
where in some other places in Southeast Asia, when you check in, they take your passport and you won't see them back for the next 20 minutes, right? I don't know what they're doing, but, you know, uh, it, it is, it's surprising. It's very nice to see the, the, the structure and the order. But at the same time, what you say, that may, might give some challenges sometimes that when something doesn't work, that we don't um, yeah, get upset too quickly or maybe just feel like, oh, this is not uh, how we uh, used to do things here. So it, it's quite interesting to see your take on that. Now that you are also expanding, uh, and, and it's a good point to mention here that Arcadia is expanding to Vietnam, to Ho Chi Minh City. You just opened an office there, what, what I would like to talk about for a little while. Of course, now you are going into a different culture, into an emerging market, uh, into a whole different kind of dynamics, everything there. And let me start with the first question is why? Why does Arcadia make that step into Vietnam? And, and what are already some of the key differences that you see that are an obstacle for you going into this new country and, 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 and see, okay, these, these things happening that are different from Singapore and how you tackle them? Well, I think, I think from, from a Singapore's perspective, um, again, it draws back to our population of just about 5.6 million. Um, the number of transactions, real estate transactions, um, if you talk about uh, homes transaction, literally that's going to be the biggest transaction. There's only maybe about 30,000, 20 to 30,000 transactions a year. Right? And, and there are 30,000 licensed agents in Singapore. That literally means that everybody do a deal a year. Right? Um, so so yeah. the market here to us is always um, not big enough. Right? And if we, for, for Arcadia's, uh, from Arcadia's perspective, because we deal mostly with clients um, in the high net worth uh, uh, um, segment, they travel a lot. And some of these clients are actually foreigners residing in Singapore or, or moving their wealth into Singapore. So being, being able to, to, to be in the markets that they themselves are in um, becomes very critical in, in terms of, uh, for us in terms of building relationship, right? Um, there is only that much of, of talking points we can have with the client with regards to the Singapore market. Right? It's just not enough. You won't, you won't be able to get into a conversation long enough. And a key point to us in, term, in, in, in the building of relationship um, um, flow is that we, some, we, we have to be very relevant and timely with the information that we share with clients, right? Mm -hmm. and, and without the fact that we, we, if we are not in the markets that they are in, then it, conversations becomes very rare and, and you won't have many chances to you know, make, a, make an impression, right? So, so that's point number one. Number two, um, we have most of the time we look at we look at the, the the market that we can do business. We literally look at Southeast Asia market as a whole rather than just Singapore market. There are seven hundred million population. Even if we talk about just dealing with the top one percent ultra high net worth, we're talking about seven million population, and that alone is already bigger than the, than the entire population in Singapore, right? So so that to us becomes a very key thing to understand. And we need to be able to then get in front of these clients in the country that is growing the fastest or the cities that's growing the fastest. And I think, I think at the moment now, Vietnam is interesting to us, uh, which is why we, we then you know, decided to take the plunge, take the risk and, and, and you know, plant a flag in, in Vietnam. Um, Vietnam started the industrialization process and opening up in, in 1986. And ever since then, you see you know, almost um, very strong, uh, high single-digit, sometimes double-digit growth every year. 
And even in the last one year when COVID shuts down everybody, uh, it still recorded a positive growth of 2%. And this year and the next few years, it's still expected to grow at only maybe about 4.5-5%. But, you know, it's still a huge number. And that means that they are minting millionaires um, um, quite quickly. And, and these, I remember when I was in Vietnam about maybe 12 years ago, you know, we are talking to the, maybe the second generation uh, wealthy people and they are telling me that you know, they were educated in places like Moscow or Ukraine or you know, the Eastern European countries. And then 12 years later when we went to Vietnam again, and we talk to them and they are telling us that their kids are now being educated in Washington, in, in Chicago, in California, in Australia, you know, London, completely different now, right? So they become very global in their outlook. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. It's, 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 it's important for us to be then be there and, and be able to service this group of clients on their way uh, uh, towards wealth building and become the conduit for them to then, you know, <clears throat> be able to do business or acquire properties uh, in the places that they are interested in. Nice, nice, very, very, very impressive. I, I think it's a very uh, interesting way of how you uh, put the, the the idea of you know planting that seed, being there, setting everything up, uh, and and obviously I would I would assume that it doesn't own, that it doesn't come without challenges, right? That there are certain obstacles, right? Going into new markets, new environments. Like, and, and I know that a lot of other companies and, and agencies always have that idea of, okay, expansion, right? Go into multiple markets. But then they realize once they go there, then there's all these obstacles or issues or challenges. Can you share a little bit with our audience, right? What are some of these challenges that you faced early on when you started to expand there? And how did, were you able to overcome them? What are some things that you have to think of when you go into these new markets? Well, every market has its own own dynamics, right? And and it has its own behavior and way of doing things. Um, us going in, I mean, we we especially for Singaporeans, where we come from a, a country which is so efficient, then inefficiency suddenly is being frowned upon, and you get frustrated. So frustration is always the, the key thing when you go to a new market when things don't go as fast or as don't go as the way you want it. So so that is something that we are we we were very mindful when we first step foot. Uh, to start a business there. Local competition is, is another thing that we, we have to be wary about. You know, um, We read from a report by McKinsey, there were almost about 700,000 agents, licensed or wow. non-licensed in Vietnam wow. alone. In a population of about 90 million, you have 700,000 agents. I think that's, that's an impressive number. Um, the, 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 the lack of uh, real estate uh, agency laws or the insufficient policing or enforcement of the law uh, could is, is also another thing that we have just have to be very mindful about because then it brings upon the risk of fee seepage, right? It brings upon the fact that you know your agents may not be entirely your agents. Maybe you only own twenty percent of him because he represents five other agencies. Um, really? Yeah, information leaks. Um, literally, it, it, you know, whatever that you think is a competitive advantage, you know, very, very quickly overnight, it could become like, you know, market knowledge. Um, so, so these are the things that we just have to be very mindful. Um, again, focus, 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 decide on where, which segment of the client you want to serve and just be very focused in, in that segment and don't try to do more than what we think we can do. Yeah, yeah. 
Wonderful. That's uh, a really, again, uh, very interesting to see, you know, those challenges that you're, that you're facing at that moment and, and interesting how you overcome them. And uh, yeah, gain as much market knowledge that, uh, as you can. And uh, I think you guys will do very well there in, in a beautiful Vietnam. It's not, uh, like I said, a very dynamic market, Seven, over 700,000 agents. That is, that is a big number, you, a big difference from what you're in, in Singapore, <laughs> from the 30,000. So that's, that's going to be interesting. Is there any other markets that you're looking into with, with Arcadia? Now that you made that step to Ho Chi Minh, uh, what other maybe Asia countries are you looking to to say, hey, maybe we're going to plant a flag there in the near future? We, we did a lot of work with um, Indonesian clients over time, over the last 20 years or so. And, and we do know that many of them um, are very global in their outlook. Right? And they, they have been buying Singapore properties for a long time, so that's how we get to know them first. But at the same time, you start to know that you know, they also invest quite heavily into the US, into Europe, into Australia for different reasons, for their own use, for, for returns, for capital appreciation, or you know, sometimes it's just purely uh, for Forex reason. Um, so, so Indonesia is a market that you know, we, we would very be keen, we would be very keen to, to think as our next step to go in. Malaysia is another one that is so close to our heart, right? And we do a lot of work with Malaysian clients as well. So Malaysia, Indonesia, and possibly Thailand is probably the next three that we will look at uh, over the course of the next three or four years. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm looking very much forward to that expansion and uh, seeing the flags of Arcadia being planted in all of these uh, countries. Thank you. All different from each other, but like you said, very dynamic and, and very much growing there. Um, what I want to talk about a little bit more uh, with you, Boone, is about your team, right? I, I know some of your team members, uh, uh, experts in the market. Uh, you, you, you have put together an, an amazing team that all have kind of their own specialty. And you as the, of course, the CEO, as the head of the company, yeah, you are looking to expand in these other countries and also trying to gain more knowledge and experts in there. So I was just wondering, right, how, how important is this team for you, right? And what do you look for when it comes to selecting or, let's say, choosing these team members to be, become part of Arcadia? Well, um, from, from the experience I had as an employee, um, and, and building, building the office up for the, the previous employer that I have, you, you come to realize that sometimes uh, the company's growth is often very constrained by the, the, kind, the team that you build, right? And, yeah. and again, very peculiar to us because we started off and, and I told myself that, you know, um, we have built very big teams before. So for Arcadia, can, can I have a little bit of fun? And I said that maybe we are going to be very conscious with costs. You know, and, and again, cost control is something that all the entrepreneurs will start to look at, obviously. But to us, it then becomes, or to me, myself, then it becomes a, a, a fun thing to say that can I then build an agency with maybe as little cost as possible, if possible, no cost. And, and it, it's probably quite timely as well that, you know, technology is, is, is becoming such a way of life that we do things and it also helps us with our work. And up to today, I, I, can, I can quite proudly tell you that we managed to keep the cost so low in Singapore that we practically have almost zero fixed costs. We don't have an office. We don't have a single staff. Um, um, precisely because we think that um, a lot of things, we can either do it ourselves 
um, or we can we can either outsource it and then we 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 then um, barter trade uh, in terms yeah. of expertise, right? So if I think back on, on previous experiences that I have, it's, it's very straightforward, right? We the easiest thing to do to build a business line. For example, I decided, okay, I want to do um, uh, commercial leasing. I go out and hire a team of people who can do commercial leasing. And then very often you then be constrained by the fact that your, your capabilities of the, of the team then, sorry, the capabilities of the business line then becomes constrained by the capabilities of the team that you hire. And you've already sunk in this cause and it's, it's not, it's, it's not going to be right for you to say that I can just change people overnight. It doesn't work that way, you know. So yeah. that has become a, a, a sort of a differentiator between the different uh, companies. They are being viewed upon by the capabilities of each of the teams that they represent. And when we started Arcadia, I was, I was telling myself that can I then don't build, don't spend money to build a team because that, that literally constrained my ability to, to provide the best in kind service, you know, for the business line that I want in. So then I went out and start to talk to some of those old friends, some of the, the very uh, good uh, uh, companies that provide specific functions and services. And we discussed with them and said, why don't you come on board and join us as, as you know, part of the Arcadia uh, team of experts and then we work together and then we can then deliver that service to the client and the client will get the best-in-class service and yet at the same time we have the flexibility to choose which are the service providers that come and work with us all right um, so we now focus predominantly on brokerage we focus on the built environment we focus on um, uh, lifestyle uh, services that then helps to transact real estate so in, in quick summary, brokerage is something that we do day in, day out because that gives us the bread and butter, right? Build environment literally talks about the master planning, the architecture, the, life, the, the landscaping, interior designer, branding, and all the stuff, which, again, if I, if I want to do, offer this service, one of the options is I go out and I hire an architect, I hire a landscape architect, I hire an interior designer, you know, sink in all the costs and then get it done. But the thing is, then again, it, it may not be the most efficient way of doing it. So we went out, and we talk to so many of the, the, the different partners that we, we come across and then we, we narrow, zoom down on one and then we said, come on board and join us, you know. And we then have a very collaborative way of working. So we then re bring them on board and work with us under the Arcadia brand. At the same time, we, uh, we refer a lot of customers to them and just to do that part of the business, right. And in fact, the lifestyle but, uh, bit is, is also the same thing. But being able to do it this way literally means that I'm also going back to um, the starting point, which basically means that I am looking at what my clients need. My target market, again, is ultra high net worth. By, and, and most of my clients are actually developers, right? But if I were just to just focus on doing sales, then I will only be dealing with the head of sales and the head of marketing, right? Which yeah. doesn't help me overall as a strategy that I want to serve the ultra high net worth segment. But being able to provide the, the built environment service literally means that I get to talk to the owner of the development company because they will be very interested in what goes into their land, right? But, and, and that brings us literally very close to the owner and I can build a relationship from there. And then also I can then start to work with him on his wealth planning, on his uh, overseas acquisition, on his you know, disposition of properties in, within the country that he works in. Um, so again, go back to the overall strategy and then that's how we built that. You know the, the the service offerings to suit the overall strategy. Wonderful, great strategy, really great strategy. Keeping the cost low, but maximizing the expert of the people around you and bringing that together as a team. A very impressive, 
really great to hear that it's also working for you and even helping you to expand that into into other countries and uh, together also of course with uh, leading re uh, being part as 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 kind of one of your partners right working yes, together definitely. in the expansion helping you to grow and, and positioning you as a as a as a, uh, as a global member you know as a global partner with us uh, that's also great to see and how how you're leveraging on that that's wonderful definitely definitely yeah um, so, Boon, we are already coming close to an end of uh, today's session. Of course, you and I can talk forever, <laughs> what we definitely will do, uh, but we will do that more outside of this podcast. I basically have two more questions for you before we end, and uh, this is kind of a traditional question that I ask for to most people, so I'm looking forward in what your answer is to the following. Um, imagine, just Boon, you have to start all over again. That what means that you need to build your career again from scratch. You've been in this business for so long, but throughout all these years, so much experience that you have built. What are three things you would focus on in the first 30 days of building your career again? And why are specifically these three things so important to you? Wow. Um, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Um, maybe, maybe we answer it differently, right? Uh, if I'm going to restart my career again, and, and how would I then go on and and, and chart the path. It may not be the first 30 days, it could be, it could be the first three months, and so on and so forth. Um, to me, I think that one of the very important thing is, is um, find the right boss, right? not the perfect company. Bet on the right horse and not on the race. I think, I think that to me is very important, right? Because being with the right boss, um, that the kind of, of opportunities they can give you in terms of building your career, building, giving you opportunities to grow, to make mistakes and not penalize you uh, or ostracize you. I, I think that's, that's extremely important, right? You can be the best company in the world, or one of the best companies. We can be the, one of the best companies in the world, but at the same time, if, you, if you're not in the right team, you're not in the right boss, you may not still get your opportunities that you need, you know, especially in the first three months of a career. Because that sort of sets the tone of, what you're going to do for the next 10, 20 years, right? Um, yeah. The other thing that I, I come to realize is in, in a big corporation, we are being hired to, to work in the business that we are being hired to do, right? So being the best in, in what we do is, is very important. Um, but I also come to realize that it is, it is just as important to be good working in my business, but also it is just as important to be working on my business, right? Um, I need to be an expert in the role and because that's just how I justify my paycheck. Um, but being able to see how my role will fit and facilitate the business um, gets me on the same level as my boss and my clients. Uh, I think we've got to be able to see, you know, the whole, the big picture, right? And lastly, I think being, being present is just as important as being prepared, right? Sometimes just being there says, uh, means a lot, especially to the clients. Um, and one thing I've learned from, from my, my ex-client, uh, my ex-boss is always that, you know, don't ever be just on time, uh, because when you're on time, you're often late. Um, so these are the three things that I take away, uh, as, as part of my growing up and, and hopefully it, it resonates with some of the listeners. Definitely really great stuff. Really great. I, I love all three of them. And especially the last one, just showing up, being present is so super important, right? Uh, just you being there. 
is, is one of the key elements in, in real estate. I fully agree with that. So as I said, coming to an end, Boone, is there anything else that you would like to leave with our audience? Any, any quote, any thoughts, anything you would like to say before we end? Uh, I'm not sure, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just sharing a little bit of my experience to perhaps, you know, very seasoned uh, practitioners out there who, are, who have built far bigger business. Um, but one, one thing that I've learned uh, in, in the last 24 months building Arcadia up is that, you know, don't, don't stop having fun, right? Don't stop imagining. Um, right? don't, don't just be constrained by the fact that, you know, real estate agency work is just as it is like that, you know. Um, being the best in the real estate agency work is not necessarily an end to end means. Um, it, it has to be, it can be more fun, it can be done in more different ways, and the clients appreciate you a lot more when you're creative. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much agree with that also again. Thank you so much for those, uh, for those uh, final words, uh, Boone. It was, again, it was a great pleasure and a really an honor. And I'm so happy that you were able to come on the show. And uh, I'm looking very much forward in working with you together on so many great things that we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Yes. And uh, it was great having you on the show. And uh, we hope to see you again uh, in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Taco, for the opportunity. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was it for today's uh, podcast session here at Million Dollar Question. It was, again, a lot of fun uh, spending some time with you. Hope to see you again in one of our next episodes. And for today, we wish you all the best. Stay safe and see you again next time here at Million Dollar Question. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.